Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Today's episode has been sponsored by Sugarwish. Sugarwish is an online gifting site that provides a delightful gift experience followed by delicious treats. They get to choose delivered directly to their door. Here's how it works. A sugar wish can be sent to anybody. So if you're the recipient, you open up an email and it says, someone has sent you a sugar wish and you open it up, you click and it says, pick any four of these delicious candies um, to fill your basket. So you get to look through everything from gummy worms and M&Ms and Skittles and jelly beans and everything. Um, and you click and then check out and it's sent to you in this beautiful box with all these candies inside and a ribbon. And it's just beautifully packaged and sent right to your door. And so somebody, basically, you get to customize your own gift. And it's really awesome. And I did this. And I sent some to my son at boarding school. And we got some here for Halloween. And I highly, highly recommend uh, this company. Um, definitely go check it out, sugarwish.com. Jane Igharu was born in Nigeria and immigrated to Canada at the age of 12. She has a journalism degree from the University of Toronto and works as a communications specialist in Ontario, Canada. She writes about strong, audacious, beautifully flawed Nigerian women, much like the ones in her life. And the book that she most recently wrote is called Ties That Tether. All right. Welcome, Jane. Thanks so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Ties the Tether, your awesome book that just came out. So congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Would you mind please telling listeners who aren't familiar with your book or who perhaps are not Book of the Month Club members and didn't notice that it had been chosen as one of the picks, congratulations for that again, what Ties the Tether is about? Ties the Tether is about a Nigerian woman who immigrated to Canada when she was 12 and promised her father back in Nigeria as he passed he was ill so why he was sick she promised him that when she did come to Canada she would stay true to her culture by marrying someone who was Nigerian specifically Edo years later she meets someone who is not Edo he's of Spanish descent and they have a blossoming relationship and she's soon caught between her family's expectations and her heart. Excellent. And I happen to have read the essay you wrote on Shondaland, so I know where <laughs> this story came from. But <laughs> perhaps you could you could tell us a little more the inspiration for this novel. So the inspiration was my experience as a Nigerian woman. I immigrated to Canada when I was eleven, and I've had to deal with what my family, specifically my mother, expects from me and who she expects me to date. And so just dealing with all that and dating guys within my culture and secretly dating guys outside my culture, that inspired this book. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I think what you touch on in the book is something that people in so many cultures that are tight-knit or who feel that any sort of external influence is some way a threat can relate to. And it usually comes from the older generation, right? It's I feel like these days, like we don't think twice about really anything, but our parents and particularly our grandparents yeah. are like, you know, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> like the older generation for sure. Yeah. So tell me about your secretly dating the first guy who was not Nigerian (laughs) and how it was not telling your mom about it and worrying the whole time about her, you know, finding out and all the rest. (laughs) So that was stressful. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it happened. It happened when I was in university and I got a bit more freedom. He was... Was he he in your class or how did you meet him? I met him on the public transit. (laughs) No way. Yeah. He was really cute. He was from El Salvador. (laughs) (laughs) He was from El Salvador. And we just clicked. And I dated him secretly. And I had to like... Wait, wait, wait. That's not enough detail for me. You're on (laughs) the public transport. Then what happens? You start talking to him. He started talking to you. He started talking to me. He sat beside me. I can't really remember the conversation. It was a while ago. We exchanged numbers, started dating, and I had to hide my phone and lie to my mother about where I was going. So were you living at home? <laughs> yes. I was, were you li- no, I wasn't living like on campus university because I, I, I didn't live that far from my university. So I was living from home and I had just so much harder to hide when you're living from home. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that was tough. <laughs> And then you managed to keep that a secret. And then you started dating other nationalities, somebody from Jamaica, someone who was white, someone, and you were still, your poor mother is in the dark here. For sure. Yes. I recently told her about this a few, like, like two years ago, I was like, when I was dating someone who was Nigerian and she was very much content, very much happy. And I was like, you know, I used to date a lot of guys who weren't Nigerian and she didn't believe me. She thought I was joking and I really had to spell it out for her. I'm like, his name was this, he worked here. And then she was like, how dare you? (laughs) She was so shocked, but she got over it. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And now, so this is none of my business at all. So are you dating someone Nigerian now? Yes. Okay. So she's very happy. You know, what's funny. She read my book and I think she really did change her perspective a lot. And then she was like, you know, a few weeks ago, she was like, you know, if you bring a guy home, a white guy home like Raphael, which is the hero in my book, I would totally be okay with it. <laughs> really? Like, well, that's, that's progress. That's great. I don't know if you can be like Raphael, but just keep your mind open. That's good. <laughs> but I love how you sort of came to this conclusion that it wasn't, that it was really just fear that drove your mom. And maybe, you know, tell me a little more about the conversation you had with her. Cause I found that so interesting because we have all these assumptions about our parents and why they make their rules or why they are the way they are. And you really uncovered the root of it. And perhaps that's what enabled her to like finally let go of what she had held on to so strongly. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like we don't even care to really understand where our parents are coming from. We just get angry and we don't want to, you know, figure out their perspective. So 
for me, I gradually realized my mother was coming from a place of fear, like a lot of immigrants when they move to a new country and they're far from home and they're trying to preserve what they had back there and it's so different. And so it's just preserving it, keeping that culture and tradition so their children can have it and their children can have it and it can still be strong even in their new setting. It's really what motivates them most of the time, a lot of the time, to just say don't date outside don't date outside our culture. So I just wanted my readers to understand that as fear, not prejudice. And also you talked about how growing up, you know, you were happy to read all the books from school and all the rest, but they typically had white protagonists and they were not stories that reflected like your inner experience and that you feel very strongly about portraying characters like yourself in fiction. Tell me more about that. Well, grown up, (laughs) I didn't see people like me, black people or specifically Nigerian characters in books. The first book I ever, the first romance I read was Some Nerve by Jane Heller. And I love that book so much. And I read it multiple times. I could relate to it on some level because you know, but not completely because the protagonist wasn't like me in any way. She wasn't an immigrant. She wasn't black. She wasn't Nigerian. So there was still that disconnect. The first book I ever truly connected with was Americana. And that was just only a few years ago. So just really, maybe I first read that book, I think two years ago. It was published before then, but I only got my hands on it two years ago. And I really felt seen. I love the themes within that book of immigration and identity. And she talked about hair, which people might not get, but for Black girls, hair is a big deal. And it was the first book I did see very, I felt very seen in that book. So, and I'm really excited that throughout my career, I I plan to write about Nigerian women. And a lot of people have been reaching out and saying, this is the first romance that I've seen a Nigerian heroine and it's amazing. I don't know if it actually is because I haven't read every single book in the world, but it makes me feel really happy to know that another Nigerian girl is seeing herself in the words that I write. It's amazing. So what made you write? What made you start doing this and what made you write this book? What made me write? Someone asked me this before and the answer is very strange, but I couldn't help it. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't not write. The journey to becoming a writer was incredibly hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I wrote two books prior to this one in different genres. And trying to get an agent was incredibly hard. And it didn't happen until Ties That Tether. And even through that entire process, the idea of giving up never occurred to me. It just didn't seem like an option. Because even through the tears that I cried and... The times I wanted to throw my laptop out the window, I knew that I couldn't give up. It just wasn't an option. So I write and I will continue to write because I have to, because it's in my blood. It's, I think it's what I'm destined to do. Have you always loved to write? I wanted to be a Disney actress when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> I really wanted to be that black Hannah Montana. And I went on a few auditions, but they didn't work out. And it was a summer after I went on an audition and I was really sad because I, it didn't, I couldn't progress to the next stage that I wrote a poem called Longing for Spring and it was horrible. I was in elementary <laughs> school, <laughs> but it was the first thing I wrote in a purple journal and I kept reading it and writing and it just kind of happened that summer after a huge disappointment. I found out that I was an intimate actress because I cannot act horrible but I, <laughs> but I can do something else. And so I started to explore that. Wow. So 
I know you felt like it wasn't an option, but when you were crying, how did you get back to your laptop? Like, how did you just say to yourself, like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm going to do it eventually. Is it, was it just this interior monologue you had, just this faith? Yeah, it's faith. I'm a Christian and my faith helped me through this. There's a Bible verse that says, a man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. And I wrote that and I framed it and I put it in my room and I would recite it every time because it meant to me that eventually your gift to bring you to a place that you're meant to be, it will make room for you in this world where it's crowded and full of so many other talents, but somehow it will make room for you and people, great people will see you. And that was in my head. And I said it all the time. And my family was amazing. My mother, and she's an immigrant, but she never pressured me to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, which so many African immigrants or maybe immigrants in general tend to do. And I'm so grateful because I can't imagine being a doctor or a lawyer. It's just not for me. And I listened to songs that cheered me up. Like, this sounds really ridiculous, but I always listen to that Hannah Montana song. It's not Hannah Montana, I'm sorry, Miley Cyrus song, The Climb. It's a really good song if you want to be motivated. So that helped me a lot. I am going to play that right after this. I'll probably recognize it from my kids. But can you say the verse from the Bible again that you repeated to yourself? Just say it a little slower because you went so fast the first time. I just want to hear it more clearly. A man's gift maketh room for him and bringeth him before great men. All right. Mm -hmm. Cool. I like it. Thanks. (laughs) Um, It's great to have a mantra. I mean, it's great to have something that you feel like is from, I don't know, I want to say a higher power, but that sounds so hokey, but something that is like grounding in that way and that really means a lot to you. And it's great. Yeah. And you know, the Bible and Miley Cyrus, who knew? (laughs) Who knew they would be in the same sentence in the same video? (laughs) Who knew? So if you were to have kids who wanted to date outside the Nigerian world, would you have any issue at all or no? No, I wouldn't. As long as they take the culture that my mother has given me and I have given them and they hold on to it. Like my main character eventually learns in the book, you can appreciate many cultures. You can practice many cultures and still stay true to yours. It doesn't take anything Mm -hmm. away from that. So that's basically what I would tell my children to remember where their mother came from and hold on to that no matter what, no matter who they love. Tell me about your writing process. What was it like? Did you outline this book? Did you consider writing a memoir? Did it all just come pouring out? What was it like? Well, this is the first book I've ever outlined. As a new writer, I didn't have like a, I didn't know what I was doing when I started writing initially, like many writers. I just dove into it, sat in front of my computer. And that was a huge mistake. I went to a conference in New York with writers and I learned a lot. And I learned how to outline my book and plot points and all that stuff, very technical stuff that readers might not realize writers are trying to do. And that really did help me outlining the entire book from beginning to end, even though things changed a lot, but it gave me an idea of what to do and relevant points to hit instead of just having chapters that were not pushing the plot forward. So my writing process since then has been always outlining my book. And sometimes I write the whole thing, but right now I'm working on a book and I'm, I have a whiteboard, but I'm just like outlining things as I go because I don't know what's going to happen in the story. So, (laughs) (laughs) so outlining is wonderful. 
Excellent. <laughs> so can you say any more about your next book? Book number two does not have a title. I'm really struggling with that right now, but it's about a biracial woman who never met her Nigerian father, but then she learns that he's passed away and he's invited her to Nigeria for his funeral because he wants all his children to attend. And he's this, in, he's this incredibly wealthy man in Nigeria. So she decides to go to Nigeria to learn about her father and his family and the part of herself she never knew. And she gets there and she meets this unconventional family of his, a first wife, a second wife, a mistress who never made it down the aisle, and children who are basically Nigerian royalty. And she's tossed into this colorful, insane family. And most of the characters are trying to find themselves. And as she's trying to find themselves, and I explore themes of immigration and identity and um, class in Nigeria, the rich and the poor. Yeah. Wow. That sounds amazing. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Thank you. That sounds great. That sounds like a movie. (laughs) I'll be tuning into that when that eventually gets optioned and all the rest. Thanks. (laughs) Sure. Do you have any advice to aspiring authors? It's very cliche, but I stand by it. Never give up. If you feel that it's, if you feel it in your gut, that this is what you're meant to do, just don't stop. And not giving up can mean many things. It can mean shelving a project and starting a new one, which is very painful, but sometimes it's necessary. It could also mean taking writing classes, going to conferences, and writing is so isolating, but it's so amazing that you can meet people who are like you or who are on the same journey and learn from them. Not giving up also might mean joining a book club and just talking to people who are reading books, seeing what is marketable, seeing what publishers want, because a lot of the times writers don't know what publishers want. And that's very important to know. And yeah, not giving up. That's my advice. <laughs> Love it. And I have to ask, did, did you record the audiobook for this? Because you have the best voice. Like, <laughs> I'm serious. You should like record, you should, this should be your side hustle is like being an audiobook narrator. Oh my God. Know, I would love to. I didn't record the voice. I really would have loved to, but I did not. The person who did record it, I thought did a wonderful job, but I really hope to do an audiobook for another of my books. Oh, put that in your next contract. You <laughs> Thank gotta you. Negotiate that upfront. <laughs> yes, put that, put that in writing. <laughs> Thank you. I, I will do that. <laughs> Okay. Awesome. Well, Jane, thank you so much. Thanks for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks for giving the vantage point of the daughter and the mother in this situation because you can relate to sort of both. I especially, you know, as a mom, I can relate to, you know, wanting to have my kids keep my culture, but see the point of view of the kid and I can feel myself as the kid too. So all to say, thank you for your story. Thank you for your time and for speaking with me. This was very fun. Oh, good. And sorry for tromping you around my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Sugar Wish. Send a surprise Sugar Wish to somebody you love and check it out yourself, sugarwish.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. 
Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 